everyone and welcome to IX Talks, a new podcast from EuroIX and AMSIX, where we explore some of the topics that we started with in the panel series, Is the Internet Broken? The panel series was based on a talk Hank Steenman gave, and we took this further to really explore some of the topics he mentioned. This includes routing security, the issues of address space, privacy and security issues, and generally exploring internet infrastructure, and many more. We have with us today um, Kyle Spencer from Uganda IX, and we're going to explore a bit more of those issues that we discussed from the first panel. Hi, Kyle. How are you? Very good. Very good. <laughs> it's another bright and sunny day here in Kampala. Very glad to hear it. I'm going to start off by asking you a simple question, which is, you're an American in Uganda, and I, I know you've been there for many, many, many years. Do you want to share with us how you happened to arrive in Uganda and you've been like a staple there? <laughs> a staple? <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that, but uh, but how I arrived in Uganda is kind of a, a, a funny tale. I um, was doing a lot of traveling prior to Uganda um, and... I rode a, a motorbike across a big part of Asia and uh, met a girlfriend along that trip. And uh, we spent some time living in China, uh, then had a long distance relationship for a while. Uh, then ultimately we attempted to combine lives and she found uh, a job in Uganda. Uh, and in order to help me get out there, she helped me find a job in Uganda. Uh, and then around two weeks before I came out to Uganda, we broke up, but I came anyway. And uh, it ultimately turned out to be a really good thing. Very good thing. I mean, Uganda yeah. IX is um, managed by you, right? So how did that start up? Uh, well, so when I first came to Uganda, uh, my role was head of IT for a large healthcare services provider here. Um, and we relied on internetwork traffic. Uh, because we had a, a hospital that hosted some health medical record systems and other IT systems that the various branches around the country needed access to. But at the time in Uganda, there was not one network that could reach all these, these branches, right? And so we had different internet service providers uh, that were connecting these branches to the internet, but also our health medical record systems that were on another network. Mm. Uh, and the internet exchange that, that, uh, we operate now uh, was set up in 2001, uh, long before my time by some very forward thinking uh, Ugandan guys. And uh, it at the time uh, I came to Uganda back around 2008 was uh, not really being actively managed. Uh, this is before fiber optic internet connectivity came to East Africa. Bandwidth was sometimes around $5,000 a megabit. Um, we were connected to the rest of the world through satellite. So there wasn't a ton of internet activity. Uh, the, the community was very competitive and not always getting along. And, and, and so the internet exchange kind of languished. But as I said, my healthcare service provider relied on this. And uh, so a friend, in a, a friend of mine, a guy who became a friend of mine, who was working as an IT consultant at this company uh, I was running IT for, uh, we got tired of calling her internet service provider every time it would go down, demanding that they fix it because it it wasn't like really their job either, but that's how it was working for a while as internet service providers would get calls and their customers would complain because the IX was down right. and somebody would go down from the company and fix it. Uh, and, and so it was kind of this Frankenstein of, of, of 
fixes done by each internet service provider. And it was a little bit unstable and there was nobody to really call and whatever. So my friend and I, who I was mentioning, decided we'd just start taking care of it ourselves. Because uh, we realized that if we relied on it, then other people and parts of the economy relied on it. And, and, and so somebody's got to take care of it. And so we did. Okay. Um, and, and after a while of just, just doing that, uh, we sort of earned the trust of the internet service provider community and the, the guys who, who ran the organization and, uh, they handed it over to us and then, uh, fiber optic submarine cables landed and, uh, the cost of internet went down and, and utilization went up and suddenly we were, we were operating this, this sort of hot potato <laughs> sort of i don't know this this really really uh interesting thing and it, and it became actually quite a complicated story but uh but yeah that's how it all began from when you started till now what is the internet landscape looking like in the region now then well it's totally different right when when we got involved running the internet exchange um like i said before this was before fiber optic sea cables had landed in east africa we were the, like the last region on earth outside of antarctica that was still connected to the internet <laughs> by satellite yeah. uh, and so it was super expensive it was very slow um latencies across satellite is like you know 600 milliseconds or something or at least was for us at the time and so internet work traffic if you had to send traffic from one local network to another and it didn't go through the internet exchange, it was like 1200 milliseconds for the round trip, at least actually it was four trips through space. So it was, it was, uh, you know, terrible there also, because there were no sea cables to reach out to on the coast. Uh, most of these countries were sort of operating like islands. So there wasn't a lot of cross border connectivity throughout the region. Um, so there was no content hosted in country. It made more sense to host it in Europe because that's only two trips through space instead of four to pick it up in Uganda from another network and all that. And today we have cross-border connectivity. We've got submarine cables on the coast. We've got you know backbones even further into Uganda to Eastern Congo and South Sudan, Rwanda, Tanzania. Mm-hmm. You know the, the Eastern and Southern African region, I think you can go from like Nairobi or Kampala down to Cape Town possibly without touching the water now. Um, you know, it's really evolved. We, we're, we're nine milliseconds or less away from Nairobi uh, in Uganda. We've got enterprises that are operating based on cloud infrastructure here now, which was unthinkable before. People yeah. are watching Netflix in their homes, which was also unthinkable before. You know, we used to all just buy DVDs on the corner uh, <laughs> or, or download from the Pirate Bay or whatever, yeah. you know. And, and in some yeah. cases, that's still necessary. But this is like digital services are now a reality in Uganda. Yeah. Yeah. Which is really good. When you mentioned Pirate Bay, it actually reminded me of something from university where we used to do the peer-to-peer um, sharing. I think it was called LimeWare or LimeShare. LimeWare, right. Yeah, yeah, that was like one of the successors to Napster. Right. The, yeah. Right. So you've talked a little bit about, you know, the growth of um, Uganda XP. Is it the only IXP? Does Uganda IXP only have one? Um, uh-huh. IXP has it expanded, or is it the only IXP in Uganda as well? Well, we're the only IXP operator in Uganda, but okay. as people in the industry may know, that's not uh, because we're some kind of monopoly. It's just because we're a, a nascent market. Right. So as as our market develops, we will end up with a competitor. I mean, you can look no further than Kenya and many other countries in the African region to see countries that have more than one IXP operator, um, and, and Uganda will go the same way. Right. Um, but uh, we have recently expanded our operations into two nodes. Um, 
So we traditionally had uh, an exchange point in town and that's where all the networks currently connect. Um, but we've just moved into a brand new carrier neutral data center facility that's just outside uh, the city proper. Um, that's called Raxio, the Raxio data center. There, Uganda's first carrier neutral data center. It's very shiny, uh, high quality. <laughs> and uh, so we're happy to be out there. And what we're going to do is interconnecting those two nodes so that no matter where a network connects, they can peer with all the networks across one peering LAN. So that's to say that we still have one internet exchange point. It's just available from two locations. That's awesome. Congratulations for that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a, <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to imagine that we're here today. If you rewound only, you know, if you rewound five or 10 years ago, this this is kind of an unthinkable reality for Uganda, but we're, we're here. And uh, yeah, it's been a, it's been a really amazing journey and things have happened fast and we're very looking forward to the, to the future. As you've been speaking a little bit about how you've expanded and you're now at a new location, can you expand a little bit more about the history of Uganda? So, you know, the impacts and what do you think will be the future trends for this? You've already mentioned that there could be, you know, potential more um, than one IXP operator, but what do you think the impact of Uganda IXP itself will be? Well, it's it's hard to say really, but I, I'm optimistic. So I mentioned before a little bit about where Uganda has come from in terms of internet infrastructure. Mm. You know, like most countries, the government ran everything into liberalization back in the 90s. Um, and then there was a really strong liberalization campaign in Uganda, which was uh, progressive for the region. Uh, Uganda was one of the earliest countries in the region to, to liberalize the telecoms. Um, and so we ended up with a very uh, over the years, we've ended up with a very highly competitive market with lots of small access providers, wholesale providers coming in and selling services, um, you know, telcos. At one point, we had five mobile network operators, you know. Um, so it's it's a super competitive market. Uh, prices are, are as low as they really can be at the moment. You know, we don't have we've got a lot of taxes now, which unfortunately um, raise the price floor. But in terms of um, you know, just the cost of bandwidth, uh, we've, we've really reached a good, good level. Um, but you know, there's, there's still a lot of things aside from taxes as well. There's, you know, maintenance costs are high, uh, getting power to a lot of your nodes can be difficult. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of other background costs to running a network that still keep the price kind of high. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Uganda is, has come such a long way. And I think in the future, uh, Uganda is really well positioned to become a regional interconnection hub of sorts, um, you know, we're geographically positioned sort of at the center of the East African network landscape. So while Kenya has the submarine cables and I think, you know, they have a natural advantage there and, you know, there's more activity happening there because of that legacy and others, other, other aspects of their economy. Uh, Uganda sort of has the lowest average latency to the region. You know, we have multiple borders that, that are growing and demand more connectivity all the time. Uh, with the advent of these low Earth orbit satellite systems, you know, it's possible that we might be able to attract some kind of ground station here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to tell. It depends on a combination of things. You know, we're not the only player in the ecosystem. You know, we're the Internet exchange, but still um, we've really got to build out and focus on cross-border connectivity. I mean, Uganda's doing really well in that, but I think I'd like to see a, a renewed focus on that, not only from the infra infrastructure side, but uh regulation and allowing networks to come in and peer um from those other countries and making it easy from a licensing and regulatory standpoint for them to do that without having to go through all this onerous licensing etc if they just want to peer 
Um, So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But we really are trying to position ourselves and work with our colleagues in the industry uh, to become sort of a regional connectivity hub. Right. And you've talked a little bit about the digital economy there. So what is the link there between, um, you know, the Internet landscape and the digital economy in Uganda? If, if you imagine, especially during the space days, when latency to the rest of the world is a minimum of 600 milliseconds, an internet exchange point unlocks entire industries that couldn't otherwise exist because you can't just pull interconnection from a nearby neighbor. It's, you know, it's an, un, it, it's an impractical distance away. So, so when the internet exchange came to Uganda, it provided a, you know, a really critical service in that it enabled other industries that rely on low latency connectivity to, to really function in the country, whether that's you know, the easy examples like local content hosting or the example of the healthcare services provider that I gave before that had multiple branches on different networks, uh, you know, or, or even the ability for, for, you know, cloud and content companies to come in and operate and deploy because without an internet exchange point, it's really difficult for them to interface with markets like ours because there's mm-hmm. like 30 different networks they'd all have to try to plug into. And, 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 and of course, that's impractical, so they, they wouldn't, but but so this has really unlocked uh, the whole internet economy by by aggregating networks together and, and creating a single point for interconnection for everybody and lowering the cost of bandwidth. Um, but also we've had some really great projects like uh, C Squared, uh, which is a, a dark fiber uh, services provider for the metro areas uh, mm-hmm. in Uganda that's really mm-hmm. helped move that bandwidth around and get networks connected to the internet exchange. It used to be everybody was coming in on the roof by a wireless links and now uh you don't even have to build your own infrastructure to run a network here so ixps you would say have played a big role in kind of solving some of these issues that you've outlined well yeah definitely it's unlocked a lot of problems but also uh really accelerated economic development in these in this region as a whole whether it's the uganda internet exchange or kixby the kenyan internet exchange rhinex whatever yeah. These guys, oh, and shout out to Tanzania too. <laughs> but these guys, I mean, all these internet exchanges have really been, you know, they're considered critical internet infrastructure for a reason. They're kind of a prerequisite to doing more with the digital economy, um, especially in regions that are isolated like ours that don't have some just like low latency neighbor we can, you know, interconnect with next door. The, you know, we went from islands that were isolated from the rest of the world. And so the internet exchanges played a real important role in, in, in enabling the internet to really be used here. And, and yeah. so, yeah, it's really affected broader economic development. And, and as the industry continues to expand and more content comes in and there's more competition for interconnection, whether mm-hmm. that's through cross connects or more internet exchanges and, you know, backhaul and cross border develops and all that, like yeah. it's just, just going to get better and better. So as long as, you know, we don't regulate ourselves away from success, uh, you know, I think there's a bright future here. That's really great to hear. I mean, in in terms of how it's helped to in a way facilitate competition but then um community building as well well it it has like the competition's been a really important one but i think a lot of credit in uganda goes to the shared infrastructure providers right i mean certainly uh being able to connect to all your peers in a network in a really easy way through you know say the uganda internet exchange has really facilitated competition here but also you know you've got to get to the internet exchange you've got to get to your towers you've got to get around you know the city to your customers and so the shared dark fiber whether it's on the backhaul or or locally in the metros has really played a large role in that too 
It's been, it's, so now you can, you can come into a network, you can be a, like a mobile virtual network operator in Uganda now by just renting all your infrastructure. You can become a local access ISP for enterprise by just renting all your infrastructure. So you can come into Uganda and, and, and try out the market without laying out a lot of capital, you know, so it is a very competitive market. And, you know, in terms of, um, don't want to get you in trouble or anything, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, when you're speaking about, um, you know, evolving um, in terms of the IXP or in terms of um, the internet in, in, you know, different countries, you know, we have to bring in um, government and regulation and stuff. And um, what has been... You know, because I know there was a few little things happening in Uganda recently, but what has been um, the progress in this? Is it having a major effect on how you're able to do your job or is it something that um, the government are hoping to understand and then to, you know, have the IXPs be independent to do what they need to do? That's a that's a big question. So, I mean, o over time, since liberalization, uh, there have been moments where there was some debate as to how the market should be configured and what should be operated by the state and what should be private and what should be competitive. But I think at this point we've, and, and that was, that was a very difficult period. Um, you know, whether it involved the IXP, the DNS or other infrastructure or whatever, but I think we've reached a point where those sort of debates and discussions are, are behind us. Right. Um, and I think, I think we're all, I'm getting I'm getting the sense increasingly that we're all in alignment about the best way forward and, and we're all on board for the way things are. And I and and so I think going forward, like I said, there's there's a renewed sense of optimism that we've kind of figured out, okay, how we wanna how we wanna configure our market and right. and now we're ready to just I think uh, optimize, like I said, the regulation and and mm -hmm. roll up our sleeves and start building in that direction even more than we were before, uh, to try to take advantage of these opportunities as the internet evolves in our region. Um, but it, it, it really, yeah, it's been, it's been tricky, you know, and, uh, but I mean, it's, <laughs> it's also, it's also been really, um, I think important because out of, out of all this debate and discussion, we really have developed a, a really strong community, um, that, that knows each other well. Um, yeah. and I, and I think we've, we've come out stronger for that Yeah. in a way, yeah. um, in our own way. And, and I think that's a really good thing. And it's really starting to bear fruit. You know, Uganda doesn't exist in isolation on the internet. And there are things happening around the internet. I do think the internet is kind of breaking in many ways. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as we have control over our local environment here in Uganda, I think we're doing the best we can. So do you want to kind of highlight a bit more in what ways that you think it's broken? I know you mentioned a few points in the first panel, but, you know, we weren't able to properly explore being a, pa um, a panel discussion um, with many people to explore your points. Um, so do you want to go a little bit into that? Tell me. Well, and, and, and this this is not particular to Uganda. This is a more right. broader conversation yeah. about the Global internet generally. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, some of the things that I see happening over time, having sort of grown up during the early days of the internet as a young child uh, of, of two people who worked for IBM, uh, I see more censorship on, on a national scale uh, around the world. And that is leading to like a balkanization of the internet over time where you've got mm -hmm. some services available in some countries and other services available in other countries. And that 
has lots of sort of direct economic consequences, but it also larger scale consequences because it, it makes it harder to achieve economies of scale as a new service. And this is all ha also happening in, a, in an indirect way through, through zero rating and artificial uh, zero rating, for example. So like mm -hmm. there was a time when zero rating was be really being pushed by the likes of Facebook and internet.org or whatever they call themselves. And there were local initiatives to zero rate uh, Wikipedia in some places and, and then Facebook and other, you know, whatever, right. To, in order to attract people to these uh, services. But at the same time, that starts to re, it starts to change people's thinking about the internet and it, and it limits what people can do unless they pay and Facebook, et cetera. And I hate to pick on them because they're, they're very good people now, but uh, <laughs> you know, it, um, it, it, it changes the way the internet functions. It, it makes it harder to break into markets. Like if I wanted to make a competitor to a service that was zero rated, I'd have to also become zero rated to have any hope of competing. Right. Um, you know, so it kind of concentrates power back in the hands of the, the few and, you know, so so there's all these things kind of intermingled. I also see more mass surveillance, uh, which leads to a loss of privacy, which is one of the things that I really thought was beneficial about the Internet in the early days, yeah. though it's a double edged sword, I admit. But mass surveillance is also like, uh, you know, in the in the in the Marvel Universe sense of the thing or like a Batman <laughs> weapon. It's like omniscience. It's like giving a godlike power to, to humans. And I yeah. think that's very dangerous, uh, you know, whether it's in the hands of the NSA or GCHQ or China or whatever, or, mm -hmm. you know, or even on a smaller scale, you know, countries in this region who get sold such systems. Uh, you know, I think, I think that's very dangerous. I understand the motivation, you know, for mass surveillance from the security point of view and whatever, but I'm very worried about that um, and the loss of privacy and the effects that that's going to have on society in general. Right. Um, I also see more aggregation of content. You know, we've, we've got Joff Houston always talking about how, you know, uh, the death of transit and how, how the content is king and, uh, you know, more and more content is emanating from fewer autonomous systems all the time. And so that's another element of sort of centralization of power. Um, I, I kind of mentioned artificial scarcity, you know, we've got data bundles and intellectual property laws that sort of undermine the value that the internet could potentially provide for society and reconcentrate power into the hands of the few, right. um, more walled gardens, whether it's Facebook and all your knowledge and everything going into there instead of some forum that I can search from Google, you know, we're losing history over time into these black holes. Uh, so, you know, like I, I don't want to be too, too negative. I mean, I guess you've heard a lot of optimism from me before, but these things do trouble me increasingly over time. The, the internet is not the same thing as it was in the early days. And, and yeah. I fear it's actually, uh, I, I think it's in danger of eventually becoming kind of a monster, if you will, where, where, you know, it has serious negative consequences on society, not mm -hmm. only because of, you know, it's, it's default nature and how, you know, it's evolved into services like social media, but also because of these things that we're doing to it in order to sort of bend it back into the way the old world worked, where we have concentrated power and inequality and yeah. whatever. To bring it a little bit back to uh, the role of IXPs, do you then believe, you know, that IXPs can play an active role in kind of implementing standards or experimenting with new standards and technologies that can kind of steer things in the, in a right or better, maybe that's a better word, in a better way? I don't know if IXPs have a, a particular role to play in this battle other than the role that, you know, 
they they play that we all know and love uh, in terms of encouraging competition and making it easier for startups to access, you know, capacity and and all that stuff, right? Um, yeah. So, I mean, IX please do play a role, but in terms of like new technologies and etc., it's um, it's not something I've I've given a ton of thought to as an internet exchange okay. operator. But I'd I'd love to hear from from others because if there is a way as an internet exchange that we can promote good outcomes on the internet beyond what we already do by default. Um, you know, as the Uganda Internet Exchange, we would be happy to to take that up because, you know, we're all we're all activists here. We do this because we love it and we love the Internet and we want it to benefit society as much as it can. So with that, I'll also give a shout out to Uganda XP. You can head over to their website. It's um, uixp.co.ug and also the um, Afri African Internet Exchange point association which is af-ix.net um so once again kyle thank you so much for being on this podcast we're hoping that you'll come back with um you know speak with us um in the future about further developments um in the uganda internet exchange um, landscape um and also watch out for more podcasts coming your way on ix talks <laughs>